This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. The single most important development in global financial markets this year has been the rise in U.S. two-year real yields. They're up 525 basis points, 525 basis points in the last six months. That's the kind of move you see in a decade or more. Everything else has followed from that. The equity markets, the currency markets, everything has followed from the rise in U.S. real yields. But now we're late cycle, and it's clear that some parts of the economy are weakening. Clearly, housing is weakening, and some parts of headline inflation are coming down. Can we say that we've seen a large enough move in yields? Hi everyone, and thanks for tuning into UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. Joining us today is Jess Eagle, who is the global head of Linker's Analysis. Jess, great to have you here. Let's start with a simple question: Are U.S. yields peaking here? We don't think U.S. yields have peaked just yet. Uh, the key metrics that we're looking for is: Will the Fed turn dovish? Will we get a central bank pivot? And as we see it now, the data that the Fed is looking for is not materializing in that fashion just yet. The labor market is extremely tight. Uh, initial jobless claims uh, surprise to the downside yet again, uh, which represents the, that they have some more work to do with inflation still well above their target. On the inflation front, they're also not seeing uh, progress or material progress towards their goal. When I look at the front end of the break-even market, we're still thinking or, or we're still priced to have inflation, you know, well above six uh, percent. Uh, on a core basis for the, on year-on-year -year core basis for the next few prints, um, that certainly does not represent progress towards their target. So when I think about are U.S. yields done, I think about will central banks see the data that they're wanting to see in order to turn dovish? And as it stands today, they haven't, and we're not ready to say that they will tomorrow. Okay, so the market's pricing in terminal rate at about 4.5 right now, just a hair smidgen below that, right? Um, our own economics team, and I think many economists would argue that maybe the Fed's not going to get there. Even if you believe that as a core view, I just want to press you on this a little bit. Even if you don't believe that as a core view, you're not ready to fade the two years yet. You think the two year can go higher? You think the 10 year can go higher, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can certainly revisit what has been the peak for two year yields uh, in nominal terms. And certainly, I think the 10 year point can accelerate further. Let me ask you. How does one know how far things are going to go? I appreciate that this is a tough question, and I'm not saying this, you know, as as, as cheap rhetoric because it's we've had very few occasions where real yields have increased, right? So we don't have enough data to put into models to get a sort of a precise second decimal point number on this is how real yields are going to this is where they're going to peak. But nonetheless, what kind of anchor would you use to say that X is the level at which real yields are going to peak? Is 2018 the right comparison, for instance? I don't think the 2018 cycle represents a good a good anchor point for where we are today, and it leads me to think that we can get to 175 to 2% on 10-year real rates uh, in the not-too-distant future. And the key differences between then and now, the 2018 cycle, is that at the time, you simply had the Fed going at it uh, by, tightening financial by tightening monetary policy, and today you have many global central banks doing that. The 2018 cycle was about keeping economies from overheating. Today is about actually 
actually reigning in economies that are undeniably overheated. Uh, and the third point is that the Fed predictability, the path of rate hikes at the time was much more predictable then than it is now, which means that rate volatility is much higher now than it was then. And one thing I know about linker markets and tips markets is their disdain for rate volatility. And that leads me to think that the path of least resistance will be higher from here. Okay, so 175 to 2 on the US 10-year real. We're trading about 150 right now. So we've still got 25 to 50 basis points potentially before, before we think that we are close to the top. Um, let's talk about the shape of the curve then. Uh, the nominal curve is inverted as we speak at about negative 48 basis points. How do you think about this curve shape and the different components breaks and, and real yields briefly, please? Yeah, sure. I think uh, the shape of curves will also continue to be uh, on a path of least resistance to flatter from here. Um, one thing that investors often cite is that after this period of Fed tightening, we will get a period of Fed easing at some point, and that will be a bull steepening in curves. But I think there is an intermittent bridge that often investors don't think about, and that is the, the period where we can bull flatten curves, where actually growth and forward growth expectations are coming down. Monetary policy is actually too tight for, the le for, for where the economy needs it to be, and therefore uh, there are buyers for duration-linked products out further on the curve and we get a, a period of bull flattening here. When it comes to the real rate curve, if monetary policy is overly tight, that leads in and of itself to some form of demand destruction, which lowers commodity prices, and we can get a steepening in the break-even curve. And if that front end of the nominal curve is not moving and the break-even curve is steepening to reflect the level of commodity prices, then actually it comes from the real rate curve continuing to flatten from here. Right. So um, real rates flatter. Nominal is probably flatter as well, although the real conviction is in, in real getting flatter from here. We're recording this on Friday, 30th of September. Uh, on Wednesday this week, 20th of September, we saw the gills market almost shut down, right? Especially the long end, 10s and 30s, the BOE had to come in and intervene. At that time, tips also were impacted because of selling potentially from UK investors. Does the gills market illiquidity have any lessons for US Treasuries as well. Do you worry about the same thing happening there? I think the, the different structures of the market means that they're not a one-to-one -one correspondence from one to the other, but that's not to say that the US Treasury market, and in particular the TIPS market, doesn't undergo uh, some stress and does face liquidity problems today. The UK market has a significantly different duration profile than we have for the US Treasury market. Uh, there is issuance that is much longer than 30 year uh, in terms of the supply to the market. In the US market, it only goes out to 30 years. Uh, and so when duration moves quite significantly, the price impact on those longer duration bonds is much more significant in the UK. Uh, the structure of their pension profiles is also very different. Uh, in the U.S., the duration profiles for uh, defined benefit programs has been reducing uh, you know, as, as they pay out more and more over time, uh, where in the U.K., liability-driven investment managers actually have to continuously purchase longer-dated longer -dated bonds. Um, so I don't worry about the two uh, being you know, congruous from one to the other. I worry more that actually the U.S. Treasury market will have its own illiquidity moments uh, driven by either significant outflows or significant unwinds of trades at some point. And given the capacity constraints on, on dealer balance sheets, that might, be, uh, that might induce some undue stress on, on U.S. Treasuries. All right, Jess, let me, let me try and summarize some of these points. The first point, um, and I think I better go slow here because this is quite an important one, is that despite a 525 basis points increase in the two-year real yield, you don't think we are done as yet, right? Because 
even if we fundamentally believe from an economic standpoint that the Fed will not get there, it's hard to fade that until inflation visibly declines and some of the indicators that the Fed is looking at, particularly in the labor market, begin to cool. They haven't as yet, and until they go, until they turn, we can't say that real yields have peaked or nominal yields have peaked. Do you think the two-year real can increase by about 25, uh, 30 basis points from here still? Um, you don't think 2018 is a good anchor for how far real yields can go. Clearly, we're already through that, but in addition to that, because the labor market is very different, jobless claims, unemployment rate quits, vacancies, wages, all are very different. You think that the 10-year can potentially get to 175 to 2. Very hard to model this because of the very limited data in terms of the number of episodes we've had real yields increasing. 80 to 85 percent of the time we've had real yields come down. So it's really hard to put this in a model and get an exact answer. But nonetheless, you think 175 to 2 is where 10-year real yields could head to. So still got 25 to 50 basis points of move. On the curve shape, you think reals definitely flatten. Nominals probably flatten from here as well, but your big conviction is that real yields are likely to, the real curve is likely to flatten from here. On the question of liquidity, which I thought was, your answer was quite interesting, you said there will be liquidity problems of its own as the Fed goes through sort of passive quantitative tightening in the US Treasury market, but the experience of gills is not directly applicable because A, pension funds have shorter liability profiles, the US Treasury has fewer funds which are uh, fewer bonds which are 30 years and, and you don't have beyond. Um, second, uh, and this is a point that I would also add, is that the duration supply is more negative in the US to the private sector because of very different fiscal profiles in the US where the fiscal deficit is coming in, whereas here uh, we are adding to the fiscal expenditure. And an additional point that I would add is that the currency is a very big difference, right? So the dollar is strengthening, everything else is weakening. And it's the weaker currencies that are seeing a big repricing of the money markets and therefore the back end. And, and that's leading to the liquidity. The dollar is on the other side of that trade. So you shouldn't see that degree of ball in the front end for currency reasons in the US. So thanks very much, Jess. Um, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for yours. This content has been prepared by UBSAG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content and has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regular or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2022. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.